You are listening to Subro on the Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Subro on the Go. Uh, this is David Briscoe from the San Diego office of Cozen O'Connor. Um, and I'm joined, as usual, with uh, my co-host, Joe Rich, from our Miami office. Uh, we have a f- fun topic today. I'm going to introduce our, our special guest. We're talking about statute of limitations versus statutes of repose, two separate but both very important um, statutes that we have to remember when calculating um, bars and due dates to file a lawsuit in our subrogation cases. And, and different states apply different rules for statutes of limitations and statutes of repose. Um, so, so both of our, my co-host Joe Rich is going to be obviously always helpful as he practiced for years um, in uh, Pennsylvania. He's um, also now has lived for many years in Florida where he practices. He's also licensed in Puerto Rico. I, I, he'll tell us, but he's licensed in a number of other states. And then we're also joined by uh, our special guest, Phil Behrens, who's um, been a practicing attorney for over 10 years. He's in our subrogation department in Los Angeles. He's also perfect for this topic, as, as we say, different states have different rules for calculating um, statute of repose and statute of limitations. And Phil's a California attorney. He's also an Arizona attorney, went to school in Michigan State. So we, we've got a lot of states covered in this podcast today. Um, so talk to us, guys, about, you know, why do these, these timelines matter? Why does a separate professional care about statutes of limitations and statute of repose? Uh, thanks, as always, for the introduction and the glowing review. I always appreciate it. It's always a good way to start these off. Um, it, it's like, you know, look at it like, uh, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but during the pandemic, I played more games of Monopoly than I care to remember with my family when we were trying to occupy the time. Right, and, and let your son win, right? Or he throws <laughs> yeah, a yeah. Or, yeah, you know, or the rules get bent here and there. But statutes of limitations and statutes of repose, these are like some of the basic rules that we play by for subrogation actions you know if you if you can't accommodate them if you don't fall within the right timelines you know you go directly to jail you do not pass go and your turn ends right you don't collect rent you know you you have all these limitations it's it's a window within which you're allowed to bring claims against potentially responsible parties and we're going to talk about how they're, they're different windows, but sometimes very much overlapping. And these these deadlines, these timelines, they really, in a lot of instances, drive our investigation process. Um, how quickly we investigate, you know, what type of parties we're looking at, the questions that we're asking our insureds and our experts, a lot of it is derived from statutes of limitations and statutes of repose because we want to make sure that we're protecting all available claims. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have different takes on it, but that's generally how I look at it. No, absolutely. It is the first question in every, you know, subrogation case is, you know, what's the, what's the data loss for the fire flood and, and how old is the house or product? Because we're using those dates and we'll explain that in a moment to calculate, you know, when's our deadline to file a lawsuit against the particular defendant. Um, and I, I use a, <clears throat> I always like um, marriage analogies, right, to explain this. So like every husband, I'm stereotypically bad about a lot of things, right? The clothes can't make it in the hamper properly. I can't find anything in the kitchen pantry. And if I'm told to pick up, you know, three things at the store, I ne- inevitably forget one. But 
probably because I'm a subrogation attorney, I'm great at calculating dates, even though, you know, different dates calculate in different ways. You've got no birthdays, anniversaries, date of, you know, your first date. And the start date, the point today is the start date for calculating the number of years at issue is different and the duration is different. And that's the same for statute of limitations and statute of repose. Several professionals have to understand both, right, Phil? Yeah, and thank you for the wonderful introduction, David. I didn't get a chance to chime in on that yet, but I mean, for me, it's very important to consider these dates when deciding what our investigation is going to look like for these claims, too. I mean, how old is the house? Uh, you know, a lot of the statute of repose stuff applies to construction, so we always have to look at first how old is the house? Was it related to uh, recent repair work, or was it related to the original construction of the home? Um, this all drives how I'm going to make my recommendations um, for the investigation as well, and what I'm going to, where I'm going to suggest putting our good money, where I'm going to suggest not throwing good money after bad. I mean, that's a big part of the consideration here too. That's a great point for several professionals, right? How we decide to proceed, Phil's spot on, is going to be impacted by, you know, is there going to be a statute of repose at issue that, um, for us, or, is, or is hopefully not a statute of limitations issue. But let's, we're going to go through each today and then explain each. So let's start with statute of limitations. Joe, Joe give us the, the, the basics. You know, what is the statute of limitations? So statute of limitation, I look at it like a forward-looking time period within which you're allowed to bring your subro claim. We, we all know what a date of loss is. It's the date the event happens, a claim is filed by the insured, and statute of limitations, they really look prospectively. Um, Florida, for instance, for most torts and product liability claims, you're going to have four years from the date of loss or the discovery of the loss to bring your claim. That's a fairly generous statutes of limitations period. Pennsylvania has two years. Puerto Rico, where I handle some federal litigation from time to time, has a one-year general tort statute of limitations, which is pretty much the shortest you're going to find. Um, and you really have to look at this, and especially in cases where you get involved um, months or maybe years later. You know, sometimes our clients and the carriers, uh, a claim may escalate. Initially, it may not seem like a large claim. They don't put the same type of resources into it and then it escalates and you get it two years later and when i get those type of files this is my first question you know what's the loss location what's the date of the loss and what type of potential statutes do i have and it's not just tort statutes you're looking at contract statutes warranty statutes of limitations in some situations you can be looking at conversion and bailment you know it really depends what type of case you have and what you have to understand is they're, they're wildly different across states. There's no uniform time period. Um, you know, like New Jersey has six years, I think, generally. And then you have to look at something that's called the discovery rule, which is, you know, generally for us, it's the date of the loss. But if it's sometimes we get these claims where they're like ongoing issues, you know what I mean? Where things have been creeping along and finally the insured decided to, to file a claim and then you have to look back and say, well, when did they know that this event started? Or, you know, when should they have known? So that's how I look at it, you know, and, and it's an important time period because it, 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 it's, it, the clock starts ticking. This is one where I say the clock starts ticking and you lose time with the statute of limitations. Right. That's just it. And so for several purposes, right, that clock is generally going to start ticking on 
for statute of limitations purposes, the date of the fire, right, and, and or the date of the flood. That's when it starts ticking. And you can, and for those that, you know, use our firm, you'll know that we don't even open the case. We don't even start, you know, uh, on day one, we don't even open the case unless we actually record what the applicable statute of limitations is. It's that important. So when we're assigned a new case, it's automatically, as we open the case, required that we have assign it a statute of limitations so we know what is our deadline to file a lawsuit. So it just never happens that it gets missed. And one thing I'll add that's important to consider too is that um, defense attorneys will sometimes try to claim your case is a contracts case by making arguments related to the economic loss doctrine um, and claim that you're, there is no such thing as a negligence toward action. So you have to also be considering, as Joe mentioned, the contract issues too because you know, you always have to prepare for the uncertainty of a rogue judge that will decide and with them. So it is important to always consider both at the same time. And if I could further complicate matters, <laughs> if I could further complicate matters, if you've got like construction related cases or cases that grow out of a contract, you know, let's say, for example, your insured had a renovation of the home done. You have to look at the contract documents as well because they could have altered the statutes of limitation periods as well. We see that quite often where there's a contractual agreement that any claims will be brought within a certain time period. So you also have to factor that in. I'm finding that actually to be uh, quite an issue with a lot of the cyber subro cases that are coming over. A lot of those services agreements have a special limitations period and an arbitration clause that you have to look into. Yeah, your your points are all well taken, right? So it's not it's not simple. It's not you know we will record for our purposes what's the shortest um, what's the soonest statute of limitations date so we know you know all of our causes of action are protected, right? But it's not as Joe said, different states have different rules, and then within each state. Right. It depends on your cause of action. So California, for example, has a three year statute of limitations for negligence and product liability causes of action. Um, and so if it's a fire that started from a contractor's negligence um, uh, who was, you know, uh, uh, doing painting work or staining work and the and the uh, rags were um, not properly disposed of and caused the fire the next morning, you know, that's a three year negligence cause of action um, and from the date of the fire. Um, and so, but you could have other causes of action. You could have a breach of contract cause of action, and that carries a different statute of limitation time period. That one's four years for a written contract. So you've got to look at not just your state, but your actual cause of action that you're applying to determine, you know, what is going to be your applicable statute of limitation or statutes of limitation to bring your lawsuit. And, and if we can kind of switch tracks a little bit, statutes of repose are, are I think, a lot different because they're backward looking. I look at them as being backward looking because what you're doing is you're now looking back and you're saying, I'm prevented from bringing claims based on past events, right? And the two typical ones that we see in our industry are uh, statutes of repose for improvements to real property and statutes of repose for products liability claims. Now, not every state has products liability statutes of repose and the timelines are really i think just like statute of limitations all over the place um in terms of time like florida for instance with improvements to real property which is basically like construction um anytime an addition is added to a home um it's 10 years for products it's 12 years but florida has like 
also an exception within its statute for products where it says if there is and there's case law on this if a manufacturer has expressly warranted a good to last longer than 10 years the the repose period which is the period within which you can bring a claim is whatever they've expressly warranted so if somebody says i expressly warrant you know this widget for 20 years it becomes 20 years and not the 12 years so it's it's got a little bit of a twist in florida it's very rare that we employ that because most people stay away from doing that when they're selling their products and warranting them um but the the repose period is a backward looking period and what it does is it says well there's a cutoff after a certain amount of time we're just not going to allow people to sue even if they can prove that the product was defective or that the work was sloppy, right? Right, that's the key for several, right? It's, it's, you could have a perfect case as far as what caused the loss. An investigator could say, we nailed it, we got the smoking gun, this is exactly what caused the loss. It's from this construction defect issue or it's from this particular product issue. And if you're in a state that has an applicable statute of repose based on the age of the house or the age of the product, then your claim could be barred entirely. Right. And but it's a state by state basis. Um, talk to us, Phil, about you practice in Arizona. Talk to us about Arizona. Well, Arizona's um, they have a 12 year statute of repose for products liability from when the product was sold on the books. But in Hazine versus Montgomery Elevator, they found that that statute of repose was unconstitutional. What I will see sometimes still, though, when a case is assigned to me, I will see a notation in the file of the client believes that that statute of repose is still active, uh, which makes me beg the question, have they looked into it and seen that it isn't applied anymore because it was found to be unconstitutional? So that's something worth looking into if you're sending over an Arizona case is that's no longer applies because it was unconstitutional. Another statute of repose in Arizona is the construction statute of repose. And that one's particularly confusing because it only applies to contract claims against that arise out of construction. So what you'll see a lot of times is defense attorneys try and argue that all construction-related claims are contract claims, that they all fall under the economic loss rule. And that's not necessarily true if you have a plumber who comes in and installs a water supply line and that thing fails because it was negligently installed. How is that an economic loss rule issue when that simple water line comes in and fails and floods out an entire house? But you'll still see the argument from time to time and you'll have to deal with it. And as I mentioned earlier, this is where you kind of have to look into the overlap between the two. And, and I, think, I, I think as a general matter, I, I tend to believe that statutes of repose are more unforgiving for us in our cases um and they're they're often harder to deal with i mean the only exceptions i can think of off the top of my head are cases where i've where you've been able to allege fraud like where somebody is concealing that they did something wrong where you can get around the repose period but generally it's going to be very unforgiving right that's no that's it and and but the analogy between or the comparison between the uh, property and improvement to real property statute repose versus a product one is an important line. And that water supply line example is really is a great one to highlight for our several um, clients and listeners uh, uh, this distinction. And so, for example, if you get a new water supply line failure case and you just know, okay, well, the water supply line, the plastic nut failed and flooded the insured's home. 
you've got a couple different issues here that you need to address through your expert investigation. Right off the bat, if it's a, let's pretend it's a 20-year-old home, right? Plastic um, nut on the water supply line fails. Well, it's in California, you've got a 10-year statute of repose on improvements to real property. So you've got an argument that, okay, the statute of repose could, could bar your claim entirely. Um, if it was installed properly or, or over-tightened. We've seen that failure a lot. However, if it's a, a defect in the nut itself, in the material, if there's a material void, you know, now it's a product defect case, and you're, now you don't have in California a statute opposed for products. The product could be 100 years old, and, and our philosophy is, hey, look, if a light bulb fails, it's supposed to just stop working. It's not supposed to burn your house down. So you're doing this analysis um, with, with a lot of claims as to is it a construction case where a statute of repose would apply or is it a product case where one may not apply depending on your state. And if I could get, bring it back to an early point that was raised at the start of the podcast, you know, this is why a lot of our investigation can be driven by the applicable statutes of repose because in your example, if you know that any installation claim is barred because the work was done 20 years ago, right? you're not going to focus on that or invest the resources on developing that claim, right? You're going to switch and you're going to say, well, I still have time to pursue a products claim, right? That's exactly it, right? You, 100% is driving your investigation. And another item I'll note is it's very important for the clients to consider these timelines uh, when assigning cases because we'll, we'll see a lot of times where folks will wait until these timelines are about to run out and assign us the case. And it results kind of in a panicked investigation where we can't really consider everything in the ways we'd like to consider them before putting a case into litigation. We'll end up putting a case into litigation with uh, little as far as a developed theory or anything. And we kind of have to work backwards. That's why, I mean, I recommend considering these dates and these timelines when opening a subrogation file to begin with. Oh, that's, that's such a good point, right? So subro attorneys, we often have to deal with, you know, getting a claim where the statute of limitations either is in danger of being missed or even has already. Clients come to us and say, oh, we've, we've missed the statute. Can you help us, right? And, and so, you know, there are certain special tips and special circumstances um, that you can use if a statute of limitations is missed or if you're in danger of missing it um, to protect yourself. Um, a couple quick ones just to note, like the relation back doctrine, if your insured has filed the lawsuit and you have not, and now the statute's passed, right? in some states you can um, file your lawsuit after the statute of limitations expired, so you're over three years after the fire, but your date of your filing will, be will fall back, relate back to the date of the insured's filing. So there's some other tricks, you know, we can, if the statute's coming up, we can file against DOE defendants, where we, we say, well, we don't know who the defendant is, we need time to identify the manufacturer of this product, um, and so we're going to file against DOE defendants, and then fill in the blank essentially later when we get the proper name. Um, and you may do some form shopping, where you say, okay, the loss happened in one state with a short statute of limitations, um, I don't want to bring the lawsuit in that state. Um, what other states could I bring it in? Sometimes there's no other states you're allowed to bring it in, but if the defendant corporation's located in another state um, and that's where they reside, they may be subject to general jurisdiction there and you can sue them for a loss that occurs in any state. So you may prefer to go to the defendant state to get a better statute of, of limitations. So there's, there's a ton of these, but uh, Phil, you're spot on. We, we do get cases put on our lap at the 11th hour, and, and but there are some tricks up our sleeve to help protect our clients in certain situations. Yeah, those are all great points. You know, I think I think what the it, hopefully what you all who are listening can take away from the podcast here is that 
you know, you always think you have a lot of time um, and it does take more time than you think to get all the proper parties on notice and involved. And I would just leave with sort of one closing comment, unless you guys have anything else to add, is that, you know, in, inevitably we've all had cases where we thought we had all the parties identified and magically a subcontractor appears, you know, a year into litigation. And this happens despite us asking in writing and asking up front for all parties in the chain of distribution or all contractors involved in the project. You know, there are those cases where you end up finding somebody else down the road. And so we try to advocate like, let's move faster, not slower, because, you know, you think you have time, but, you know, you always want to have more time than you need. Yeah, that's a great point. I appreciate, you know, nothing else out on my end. Just encourage our clients and several um, specialist friends to give us a call. Always pick up the phone. The sooner the better to even just talk about this. If you've got a case and you're not sure what the applicable statute of limitations or statute of repose is, pick up the phone and give us a call. And just one more item I'll add, and I'll, I'll keep it brief, is federal court and in Arizona, you have, or you have 90 days to amend your complaint without having any issues. And that also includes 90 days to serve parties. That's something that has to be considered in this as well, because if you miss that time period after the statute of limitations, you can be left without a remedy against the party you're trying to get to. Well, I wanna, I wanna thank you, Phil, for joining us. Uh, Briscoe, as always, uh, you're, you're brilliant. <laughs> so Saving this one, that's great. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, definitely save that comment. Let your wife listen to it. Um, and we want to thank everybody out there for listening. Um, hopefully you're, you're enjoying the podcast. Like uh, everyone said, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. And we'll look forward to you guys listening to the next episode. And Thanks. thank you guys for having me. Thanks. Thanks.